Amen. And I love that whole concept of all the earth will sing His praise. Our hearts will cry, these stones will break. Great are you, Lord. That's what, that's what, worship, that's what worship is about. And uh, ultimately it comes back to our focus, going back to Him. And um, worship isn't just music either, is it? We can worship when, uh, I tell you, one of the places that I love to worship most, and some of you are going to laugh at this, but I love to worship most when I'm mowing my yard. I really do. I ride back and forth, and I just pray, and sometimes I'll put on worship music in my, in my headphones. Sometimes I'll just think and praise God as I look around. Okay, there's, we have the opportunity to do that everywhere, and um, every aspect of this morning is the opportunity to do that. And... Uh, now, as we open up his word, is yet another way, and so I'd encourage you to do that. Open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And uh, this is going to be our final installment in this series of talks called, God Didn't Say That. And uh, I've greatly enjoyed going through this uh, with you all. It's been a really fun series to study and prepare for, and... Um, we're going to finish this off with uh, this passage in Romans 12 and uh, specifically uh, a big challenge to us as we look at all of that we've talked about. And I was talking with my office staff this last week and I, I think we decided that we could probably do a 2.0 version of this series because we are thinking of more of these phrases and statements and things we so often take out of context and just uh, put in God's mouth. So uh, down the road, Lord willing... Uh, someday we'll, we'll probably revisit this whole concept again uh, because I, I believe it's been very beneficial uh, for the church. Um, and as I, uh, as I started preparing for this uh, message today and thinking about the text that we're going to be in, uh, I couldn't help but go back to uh, the last few years as uh, I have worked on multiple house projects of my own. And um, how many of you, how many of you have done full remodeling projects before? Okay. All right. A lot of you. All right. How many of you are currently doing remodeling projects? And uh, then the last question would be, how many of you would say, uh, is there such a thing as a non-house project in the, in the sense of, isn't that just an eternal <laughs> thing that you're always doing? Um, but the reality of this is, uh, the more I have done this and... Uh, I tend, to, I tend to shoot myself in the foot because in my head, I have this really cool picture of how things could be, right? And media doesn't help that any because you see these pictures of these completed projects and you go, oh, I could do that. I could do that. And uh, we did this before in our house in Oregon and... Uh, replace flooring and doors and baseboard and trim. And uh, my thing is, uh, I've, every house that we've owned so far, I've taken out walls. Um, sometimes to my wife's dismay, um, when she sees me pull out the sledgehammer, it's not always a good thing. And we're currently working on a house project, okay? So this, is, this seems like a pattern. But there's a couple of things I've recognized in doing these projects. One, it's hard work. And it's a lot harder work than it may seem when you first start. And two, the second thing I've realized in this, is the end result is worth it. 
Hey, when you get done and you sit in the space and you see this completed project, there's a sense of uh, satisfaction, of confidence, of going, man, this is good. This was good. It was worth the effort. Now, sometimes <laughs> that, that effort takes a lot longer than we anticipate. In fact, in the current house project we're in, um, I finally finished like one corner of my house where I have baseboard and trim, it's painted, it's done, and it's, it's right in the corner from my couch. So I finished that corner and it's my happy place. I could go there and I could still look at it, I go, oh, it's done. It's just done. I just can't get up and turn around and look at the other wall. I just have to look at that one place. But the reason I bring this up is our lives tend to be the same way. Now, whatever the gauge is that we're comparing it to, okay, it might be, maybe it is uh, someone else's, uh, what they've shared as via social media or whatever it might be. Maybe it is the, the image or the picture of whatever that might be that I'm comparing myself to. Or maybe it's this idea in my head that I have about who I should be, about the person that uh, I think I should be right now, what I should have accomplished by now, what should have come to be at this point in my life. And whatever that is, we tend to get in this habit of seeing something that we want to be, but it taking a lot longer for us to get there than we anticipated it would. Or maybe some of us look at our lives and go, well... I'm still not that, and so I've just kind of given up. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, this is, this is it. That's all for me. And what I want to highlight this morning as we open up to, as we walk through these couple verses in Romans chapter 12, is that our work is not completed until God has taken us home. And more uh, specifically, we're going to understand what God really values as we understand and look through Scripture. But the statement we're going to be looking at, and I'm going to say it and you're going to respond, alright? The statement we're going to be looking at today is, be in the world, but not of the world. Okay. Now some of you are looking at this statement going, wait a minute. Are you sure? And I want to preface this by saying, there's some of this statement that you can grasp from a majority of what Jesus commanded his followers to do. But it's lacking in a major area. To the point that if we simply take this and say, this is what God said, it diminishes our responsibility to a mere action of going, okay, I just, I just need to be different from the world. Without following that up with what I should be pursuing. Who should I be like? What should this look like? And if this is all we say to each other, if this is all we say to our kids, then we are cutting it short. We are not giving the whole picture of what Scripture has called us to in the midst of understanding the depth of the Gospel. And so if there's one thing I want you to grasp this morning, one main idea from our text today, it is this, that God values transformation over confirmation. God values transformation over 
confirmation. Okay? And we're going to delve into that deeper this morning as we look at specifically verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12. And I would invite you to follow along with me as we read that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Heavenly Father, as we look at these couple of verses today, I pray that you would challenge our thinking, help us to understand the reality of what transformation looks like and what you have called us to as followers of Jesus. Lord, challenge our thinking, shift us, help us to be transformed by who you've called us to be, by your word, by your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God values transformation over confirmation. Now, there's two commands that I'm going to highlight in this text. All right? Two specific commands, which doesn't seem like a lot, but these are really challenging commands. The first one, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the, the letter of Romans is Paul writing to the Roman church, and that's why he says, I appeal to you, I plead with you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's literally understanding the mercy that God has given to you through Christ. I plead with you. I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this, this concept is transformational thinking. It really is. This is so countercultural in our day and age and tends to be, it tends to be countercultural within even the walls of the church. We have to be careful about this. And the first question we should really be asking ourselves when we read a section of Scripture like this is, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What does it mean? Everyone say, what does it mean? I'm glad you asked. You know, the cool thing about Scripture is so much of Scripture is not Rocket science. To be a self-sacrifice means that I'm literally willing to sacrifice myself. What does that look like practically? It means I'm willing to sacrifice my time. Because I want to spend time doing this. You know, this is my thing. But I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice that because I know God's called me. To do this. Or it's, I'm willing to sacrifice what I have. I'm willing to, I'm willing to set that aside because, you know what, what, what God's called me to, that's more important. It's me putting aside what I want, what I desire, what I long for, 
and saying, God, who do you want me to be? How do you want me to live? Now, this would have been especially profound thinking when we consider his audience. Paul lived in a day and age when the people were still prone to follow after the law. In fact, Paul himself, as we've read before in Acts 9, all right, if you, if you haven't read who this man Paul is, you're going to find out that he was previously called Saul. And if you go to Acts 9, he was a man who was by the book. This is how it's supposed to be. And Jesus appears to him. It transforms his life. But you go all the way back to the Old Testament and what God is requiring of his people is sacrifice. Sacrifices. And in fact, they had to bring, there was very specific regulation in saying, this is the type of sacrifice you're to bring and this is what it's to be brought for. And this is how it's to be sacrificed. And at the depth of these realities was a pursuit, God desiring that in all things His people were pursuing to be holy, righteous before Him. In recognition of their sin, in recognition of their shortcoming. And then all of a sudden we shift to the New Testament and the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Himself comes into the picture. And He gives Himself as a sacrifice for mankind. So that our faith in Christ is what counts us as righteous before God. And this command, this calling, this appealing to the church is in recognition of what Jesus has done. Church, would you offer yourself as a living sacrifice in honor of who Jesus is, in honor of who God is and what He's done through Christ? Isn't it interesting that he identifies that this is your spiritual worship? If you ever ask yourself the question, how do I worship God in the most effective way? How can I, how can I most present myself to him in worship? How can I glorify him the most? It's right here, church. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. God, I'm here, and I want to do your will, and I'm willing to set aside anything else that stands in the way of that. That's worship. God, you are bigger, you are more important than anything else in my life. And I'm going to run towards you. We see an example of this in Genesis Chapter 22 in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now this is a really crazy story. Where you have this man Abraham. And he is, he is old in age. Okay? He is old in age. And his wife is old in age. And in Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham and he says, By the way, they don't have any kids up to this point. And he appears to Abraham and he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And I love verse 17 in Genesis 17 because it says that Abraham was on his face and he's laughing. He's laughing. And he says, God, 
Can a son be born to a man who's a hundred years old? And a wife who is ninety? And he's laughing at this whole concept that God could do this. And it's in this narrative where we see the phrase that with man this may be impossible, with God all things are possible. And at the depth of that, all of a sudden, Abraham has a son. He names him Isaac. And we get years down the road, and God appears to Abraham again. Only this time, Abraham didn't laugh so much at what God called him to do. Here was this gift God had imparted to him, and Abraham had laughed at the idea that God could do this. And now God appears to him again and says, uh, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to gather everything as you would for a normal sacrifice. I want you to go up on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice your son. You know what? Abraham didn't argue with God. Do you believe that? He goes, he takes Isaac with him, and Isaac, you can imagine that journey up the mountain. Isaac has no idea what's going on, and Isaac even asks the question, uh, Dad, where's the goat? And I, I don't even want to, th- I don't, I don't, I don't, can't even imagine what's going through Isaac's head as his dad straps him to the altar on the top of the mountain. And God ends up providing the sacrifice. But in that moment, God had put Abraham to the test. Was he truly willing to pursue God in anything? Man, that's a challenge, church. If you think you're willing to pursue God no matter what, I want you to consider what you would have done if you were in Abraham's shoes. I struggle with that. I'm challenged with that. And praise God that He's given us the ultimate sacrifice through Christ, but He's called us to live a life of self-sacrifice. Now, turn with me. Keep your hand in Romans 12, but turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This is another passage that highlights this whole idea of being a living sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10. And this is one of my favorite sections of Hebrews because it talks about the full assurance of the faith that we can have through Christ. And specifically, the call to, uh, I call it um, Hebrews lettuce. Alright? So if you want a nice uh, filling salad of Scripture sometime, read Hebrews 10. And if you specifically read, start at verse 19 and keep reading, you'll understand what I mean. I'm just going to leave it at that because I want you to do the, the work at finding what that is. Okay? But specifically, look over at verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. And this is what the writer of Hebrews speaks. He says, but recall the former days 
when after you were enlightened, that would have been after you understood the gospel, came to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. Now, most people read that and go, now wait a minute. If you go back a ways, a couple of our uh, messages back, you would hear that God's uh, never said that our life was supposed to be all happy and good. In fact, it talks about suffering often. Eh? Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. Get this, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I want you to put yourself in a situation, hypothetically, Would you respond with the same joy that is talked about of these people who endured sufferings? Sometimes they endured sufferings merely by association with the people. And joyfully, this, this is the part I can't get over. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You know what that means? It means that our eternal possessions cannot be taken. They cannot be diminished. But anything here on earth can. And me living a life of self-sacrifice means that I am willing to let all of that go in order to pursue God with all that I am. And many of us, church, need to stop and consider, what do we have in our fist? What do we have that we have such a tight grip on that God's going, let, let it go. Let it go. Because it's keeping you from fully being, being fully devoted to me. What is it that you have in your hand that you're just gripping onto? And some of you have experienced intense loss. You've been through such hard trial that your human response is, I just can't let it go. And what you need to hear this morning is that God sees that. And He is just as present today as He was in your trial, even though He didn't feel like it at the time. And there are so many of those circumstances, church, where God is asking, let go of it. Just let it go. And the more we're able to do that, the more freedom we experience because it allows us to pursue God through Christ as the primary focus. And the rewards for that are eternal in nature. They cannot be taken away. Now the second command in Romans 12. Flip back to Romans 12. The first one being, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The second one is where we often get the phrase that we're focusing on this morning. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you guys would like to know what God's will is for you right now? Seriously. I would. Okay? Especially if those of you who are intense planners, you guys are going, man, God, if you could just show me the next six months, I'd settle for that. But the reality, yeah, I'll take two. I heard that. I'll take two months. Maybe the next week. But the reality is, and I've talked about this before, if God showed us what was coming, we have no need for God. You recognize that? You recognize that there's a reason God puts limitations on the things we understand, the things we know. It creates a dependence. And we don't like that. We really don't like that. And I would venture to say, especially as Americans, we don't like that. You know, there's a lot of people in countries all over the world that they have no idea where tomorrow's meal is coming from. They embody what true faith looks like because God's going to provide somehow. He did yesterday, he did today, he's going to do the same tomorrow. We struggle with that. And that's where conformity to the world, this whole, this whole concept of, man, I'm, I'm just following after the patterns that are in front of me and this is just what's normal around me and I can't help but kind of drift along with what's happening because this is what I'm exposed to. And you see that phrase, be in the world but not of the world, misses a crucial element where God's word says, don't be conformed to the world. That is, don't allow the world to be the shaping force in your life. But rather, be transformed, be changed. Different from who you were yesterday. Now the cool thing is, this is really good news for those who feel like there's no hope for them. The downcast, the broken, the people who feel like, I don't know where to turn, I don't know what to do, I'm just giving up. Well, guess what? The same truth, the same promises are here for you. That you have the same opportunity, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've experienced, to not be conformed, not be molded by the world, but be transformed, to be changed by the truth of who Jesus is. So that you may discern what the will of God is. What is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to start to understand what God's will is for your life? Start by not letting the world shape who you are, but rather letting God shape who you are. Many of us have tried over and over again to discern what the will of God is. Yet many of us, I can't tell you the number of times that I meet with people and they're seeking, they're longing for an understanding of God's will and yet they're living in sin. And they know it. They're living in perpetual sin. And in that moment, church, I want you to understand something. In the moment that we are living in sin... And we're aware of it and we come to God and say, God, show me what your will is. It's ironic. 
Because the very reason Jesus came is because we're living in sin and God's desires that we would no longer be living in sin, but pursue after Christ. So that's the first place we have to start. And there should be a burden in us every day that we wake up to go, God, is there anything that I've done today that is against your will? Have I sinned against you? I'm coming to you in confession and repentance because I want to be changed and I want to be transformed. I want to be renewed. And until that becomes our first priority, until we recognize our sin and seek to grow from that to become more like Jesus, then every time we seek to understand what God's will is, He's going to bring us right back to the same thing. So don't be surprised, church, if you've been longing to know God's will and He keeps bringing up something else in your life over and over. And you go, God, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on that. Show me your will. God, I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that right now. Show me your will. He's trying to show you His will. He's longing that you would be transformed. But in order to be transformed, I first have to recognize that there's parts about me that need to change. God's desire, God's will is not for you to remain in the unhealthy, broken, dirty, defeating cycles that you have chosen to remain in. Rather, it is that you would be changed, that you would be transformed, that you would see clearly the love that your heavenly Father has for you and follow after Him. To be changed by these truths. Church, this is so important for us. So how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do this well? And there's two, two points of application I want to give you today. As you think about how do I take this and grow in it, to live in it, to be changed. Everyone say changed. Okay, that's what we're pursuing. That we won't remain the same. First is a question I want you to ask yourself. What are the internal remodels that need to happen in your life? What are the internal remodels that need to happen in your life? What walls need to be broken down? Okay? Take a sledgehammer to some of those walls. Open them up. You'll like how it looks. Trust me. What remodels need to be done? Some of you are in really difficult situations right now. And you're just discouraged. Can I just speak truth to you right now? That God is present. And He loves you. And His promises are no different for you because you're in a difficult situation. And what's even cooler, His promises don't change because of how you react or how you respond. God is consistent. Some of you are in relational situations where you are just treated horribly. I want you to know that God is a heavenly Father who loves you and who is not. That way He speaks life. And He desires that you would follow after Him because He is the only life-giving source of hope that's going to last eternally. Some of you are just stuck in stubborn patterns of sin. And you need to cut it out. To be blunt. 
Because in order for you to understand what God's will is, you have got to get rid of these unhealthy, sinful patterns in your life. And sinful patterns, when we talk about that, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something huge. It can be simply laziness. That you're just not getting around to do the things that you're responsible for doing. It could be something as simple as just being stagnant. I know God's called me to, to serve. I know God's called me to give. I know God's called me to do this. I just don't want to. Don't limit what sin could look like in your life because of what culture has stated it is. What are the internal remodels that need to happen in your life? Secondly, and this goes to our main idea this morning, stop simply confirming what you believe and start being changed by it. God values transformation over confirmation, church. You know what that means? It means that there's a lot of us who can confirm, I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. And it doesn't change us a bit. It's a dangerous place to be, church. It's a dangerous place for us to live. Because in my mind, I'm being changed. I've already changed. But I'm not continually being changed. I want to encourage you with a theological concept called sanctification. Sanctification is the process that I'm walking through every day from the moment I come to faith in Christ to where I'm becoming more like Jesus. In other words, I should be able to look at my life in the past and go, man, I am not the same person I used to be. No matter how major or minor that may look like, if I look at my past and I see the same person, then I'm not allowing God's truth to change me. Church, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Be changed by the renewing of your mind, root into truth. And pursue Christ with everything you have, living self-sacrificially. And understanding the promises that God gives to each one of us. The worship team is going to come. I'd invite you to stand with us. And I just want to challenge you with this. As we sing this last song, to consider what needs to make a change, what needs to shift. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have given us your word, that you've given us truth, that we could come to that and understand the depth of what you've called us to. Lord, I pray that we would not simply confirm what we believe, but that we would be changed by it, we would be transformed, we would be renewed, and that we would leave this place with a passion and a vigor to do exactly what you've called us to. We praise your name and praise you for the promises that you've made to us. God, the hope that you've given us in Christ. Forgive us for becoming unchanged by the sacrifice that you made. We pray this in Jesus' name.